You're listening to a podcast of spurious morality. That might be the best one ever. That was very nice, yeah. That, that was smooth. Well, thank you. And welcome to a podcast of spurious morality. I'm Johnston, and today I am going to be talking about uh, the fourth ever season of Doctor Who uh, with Jimmy. Hello. Uh, with Greg. Hello, friends. And we're being joined by Sam as well. Hello, Sam. Hi. Uh... So, uh, season four, it's a biggie. It's a bit of a milestone in our sort of travel through every season ever because uh, obviously we are very very close to the first regeneration now we're, we're going to be covering it in the next in the next uh, little bit in this episode so we're moving from Hartnell to Troughton and uh, it's it's been absolutely great talking about Hartnell uh, over these episodes uh, we will reflect on him a little bit more afterwards so before we start let's talk about uh what our favourite stories from this season are. Um, so, Jimmy, you go first. What's your favourite story from season four? For me, it's actually a really tough choice. I, Even though I'm a huge Hartnell fan, I know I definitely wouldn't give it to either of his stories because they're, they're pretty good. But, um, well, I mean, The Smugglers is pretty good and The Tenth Planet is excellent, but Hartnell doesn't really get to do much because he was sick for that episode. And so... It sort of doesn't feel like a great Hartnell story, even though it's a great story story, if that makes sense. So I'd personally actually give it to one of the Troutons, but it's such a consistently good season that it's hard to pick which one. I'd probably go for, surprisingly, not one of the Dalek ones. I think they were both great, but both a bit overrated. I think I'd probably actually go, based on its brilliant animation, the Macro Terror. It's... I never really appreciated it on previous listens where it was just a listen, but I think the animation really helped sell that story and all the characters got a really good chance to shine. So I think I'd actually give it to that, surprisingly. It's it's an excellent story, and I'd agree with you, actually, that the animation did do it a world of favours. It's, it's quite a visual story, um, and I think it suffered for years that the the narration on the soundtrack wasn't particularly great. There was sort of a minimalistic one done by Colin Baker, and it was only about 10 years ago they recorded a new one with Annika Wills. But, yeah, I agree with you that um, the animation really helped it. Uh, What about you, Greg? My favourite from the season is Power of the Daleks. Um, We'll get into it more when we talk about the episode, of course, but A, as an introduction to Patrick Troughton, it's fantastic. It's a very claustrophobic story for a six-episode story. It's really tightly written. It's it's really the the perfect way to introduce a new Doctor. It, 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 it doesn't put a foot wrong. It's 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 excellent. Yeah, it, it does do an incredibly good job, and it, there are various bits about it that I like um, that obviously we'll discuss when we get further, further in. And Sam, what about you? Your favourite season four story? I think my favourites are probably the Macro Terror and Power of the Daleks, but we've had those mentioned already. So I'm going to tip tip my trike on to the Highlanders. Um, it's I'm I'm a big fan of like uh, 18th history, 18th century history in general, um, and I think it's the last historical, and it's a really it's it's quite a fun one as well, and it's it's playing in a period that I really enjoy. I've got more to say about this later, so I'll uh, I'll just save it for then. But like yes, I I really enjoy that one. 
Um, it was when I did the re reconstructions when I was like uh, 15 or 16. It was one that really stood out to me um, that I, I was surprised I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, It's it, it's an awful lot of fun. It, it's a dark story in places, but it's also very sort of lighthearted in places as well. And I do particularly enjoy sort of the meshing of styles. Um, I'm going to go with something completely different. Uh, I'm going to go with the Faceless Ones. Um, because it's it's a 60s story set on near enough contemporary Earth, and we don't get many of those. It picks itself a very unique location, uh, an airport, and there's a really good conspiracy going on as well. Its only shortcoming would be the way that it sort of handles Polly and Ben, but again, when we get to the faceless ones, we'll talk about that a little bit more. And that won't even be in this episode, that's in next week's episode. Uh, but first of all, we have a, I suppose it's a bit of an oddity. It, it's it, it's it's the smugglers. It's a historical story. It's uh, the first Doctor, Polly and Ben. It's Polly and Ben's first story as actual companions. We met them in the War Machines, but they didn't go into the TARDIS till the end. So, yeah, let's kick off. Uh, Jimmy, you go first. Talk to us about the smugglers. Uh, it's quite a good one. It's um, not one of the best, but it introduces the Ben and Polly to the travelling in the TARDIS very well, and Polly gets a bit underused and sort of, you know, a bit helpless in points, but I think it's a really good story for Ben, and I think it just goes to show, I forget whether I said in a previous episode on season three when they joined, but I think Ben very much feels more like a first Doctor companion, while Polly feels like a second Doctor companion, so Ben gets better used early on and Polly gets better used later on and so yeah I think it's a good story for him at least and it's a shame he got so sidelined later on when Jamie joined but for now this makes great introduction to his travels and works pretty well for Polly too but there's not really that much special about the story itself that I could really go into beyond just how well it worked for the companions personally. Yeah I I, um, I re-listened to the, um, the soundtrack of this a few days ago and I was actually quite surprised at how long it spent sort of getting Polly and Ben settled in as companions and the Doctor giving them the usual spiel, this is me time machine and we've travelled in time now. And you get that sort of belief, disbelief um, from the two characters and they sort of slowly come to accept by the end of the first episode, oh yeah, we have travelled in time, haven't we? Um, yeah, it's it's a nice little story for them both. Uh, Greg, talk to us about The Smugglers. The Smugglers is an interesting one for me, um, largely because it's possibly the least known Doctor Who story. There's just very little interest in it. There's very little that we have of it. At least this one, we have you know some telesnaps, so it's not it's not a complete loss like some of the season three stories were, but. I honestly think if you took the average fan and sat them down and said, give me a plot summary of the smugglers, they would look at you like you had three eyes. Um, and I think the reason for that is that just really isn't a lot that happens in this story, and it really isn't that memorable. It's a historical, yes, but they're basically just telling a pirate story. You know, this isn't set in a pivotal moment in history. The cast isn't full of significant historical characters. The plot is more of a of a romp. You know, the like the massacre, for example, wasn't set in the famous period of history either, but there was this pervasive sense of doom hanging over it. Whereas here it's just kind of fun, I suppose. Um, the doctor and the companions don't do very much to affect the outcome of the story. They're mostly just being captured and recaptured and shuttled from place to place. It is a good introductory story for Ben and Polly. I really, like you said, liked the opening scenes of it. That those were those were fine. And and, and, and I mean, there's nothing wrong here. You know, this isn't this isn't bad. It's not offensive. It's just it's just there. It, it doesn't really do a whole lot for me in that respect. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it's, it's just part of the, the trend of, of underwhelming season openers for me, but um, 
certainly we, we we've seen a lot worse. We've seen a lot better. It's 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 a very standard Doctor Who story. Yeah, it's it's in some ways it's a nice little reset um, after we've had a whole series of epic twelve parters of particularly dark. Uh, historicals, uh, weird and wonderful stuff like the Celestial Toymaker. Maybe not so wonderful, but certainly weird. Um, it's it is it's it's sort of like a nice little bare bones, back to basics historical Doctor Who story. Uh, one thing we've discussed throughout this has been um, season openers, and actually, this is probably the strongest to date. I'd say. Um, an Unearthly Child has an excellent first episode, but what comes after is, it's not as up there, it's not as good. Uh, we agreed that Planet of Giants wasn't the best thing ever, we agreed that Galaxy 4 wasn't the best thing ever. Whereas I think this is actually a really solid, confident Doctor Who story. It's it's kind of, it's just a really good way to get going again. It's, here's, here's a normal day in the TARDIS uh, kind of thing. Uh, Sam, what are your thoughts on it? So I actually quite like the Smugglers. Um, it's not; it's never going to be a favourite, but um, I guess if you've uh, listened to the ones that I've done before, I've spoken quite a lot about um, like history in Doctor Who and and how the show will often replicate a kind of um, an, an idealised sort of like representation of the past that's heavily based on like f- fiction and that kind of like um, playing with all of the kind of like stereotypical imagery and such and that's what the smugglers does you it's greg's right it's doing like doctor who does a pirate story but i think it's i think it's really fun um i my two favorite historicals like from this sort of like era of the show are smugglers and the highlanders and they're both playing with that kind of like um kidnaps treasure island like scarecrow romney marsh kind of like the seedy underbelly of the 18th century kind of thing um i really enjoy it for that um it's yeah it's kind of like i can't remember what (laughs) what happens in it very much it's not a super uh one that super sticks in the mind but i really like the mood of the thing the sets were cool um the few glimpses that we've got of the location filming are really nice um and i think um the first doctor ben and polly are quite an underrated team um, I'm really grateful we've got some more stories of them in like extended media, and so this I appreciate this as they're kind of like they're they're only like normal adventure that they have together. Um, I enjoy it for that. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting that both you and Greg mentioned it's a uh, it's a pirate story, uh, and obviously it is, but it's it's very sort of mid sixties. How do we do a pirate story on a budget? on the BBC in black and white kind of pirate story. Um, and they set it in Cornwall. So the obviously tempting thing to do would be set a pirate story. Well, in the Caribbean thing, pirates of the Caribbean and, you know, big and swashbuckling and all that kind of thing. And, you know, chucking some alien related nonsense about treasure, giving you superpower. I don't know, something like that. But I quite like the fact that actually, this is just a load of dodgy people on a boat turn up to Cornwall and chaos ensures from there. Uh, so I do quite like that about this story. It's it's a pirate story, but it's a fairly low-key pirate story. And I, I really don't think that's the kind of story we'd ever get now. I think anything we got now would be sort of big and bold and adventurous and high budget. One thing that really jumped out to me about it was how violent it was. Um, it, it's not dark, but it's got an incredibly high body count uh, per capita for a, for a classic Doctor Who story. It's um, most of the characters end up dead by the end, which is kind of eye-opening given the other, given the tone of the story otherwise. I think it, all of the all of the surviving clips of this one, right? Because I watched the the loose cannon reconstruction, and all of the surviving clips are just people getting stabbed or like having a knife thrown at them, or sort of like otherwise just like run through and killed. Like that's the only like surviving footage. Uh, it's all the deaths, basically. Well, it, it's it's the bits that were censored. It's the bits yeah. that were chopped out, isn't it? So uh, 
I suppose it's very easy to get an impression that it's an overly violent story. I mean, I think the same about uh, the Highlanders. All of the clips from that are characters about to be hanged and all that kind of thing. Um, you probably try. You probably get a disproportionate amount of violence assumed to be in there, kind of thing. Um, it's probably not as violent as from what you've seen. You'd assume, but at the same time, yeah, you're right. It does have a really high body count, and it's it's you know there's no holding back. There's people having knives thrown into the back. There's people being stabbed by a hook. There's it's 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 fairly brutal. Um, Low-key pirate adventure, but fairly brutal. So shall we venture on then to, um, well, perhaps one of the most, if not the most important stories in Doctor Who ever, uh, The Tenth Planet. There's so much going on in this one. It's an absolutely brilliant story. Each episode is fairly unique, does something fairly different. Um, it's it it's sort of not quite in the same way as the Keys of Marinus, but each episode is kind of its own self-contained thing. Um, but yeah, we've got the Cybermen, we've got the First Regeneration, we've got it, it's it's a pretty good story for Ben yet again. Uh, Ben's doing really well under the First Doctor. Uh, so talk to us about the Tenth Planet, Jimmy. Tenth Planet is such a brilliant story. I really like it, but um, at the same time, it does suffer a bit from it. It had to lead up to the first regeneration, which was a hard enough thing for it to manage anyway. And then William Hartnell gets sick for his second to last episode was terrible timing, unfortunately. And I think the story works around it pretty well, but I think at the same time that it's a huge shame that he didn't have a bigger part in his own swan song, so to speak. And so, yeah, I mean, it, a bit of a disappointment in that regard, but still an amazing story. And I especially love the regeneration at the end. One of the things I love most about the story is the Doctor's last words just being to his companions, keep warm. I mean, it, he's he's dying for the first time. I mean, until the time his child retcon came in, but let's look at it as it was at the time. He's dying for the first time, a huge change in his life. And yet the thing he's most worried about is his companion's safety and comfort. And to me, that just shows how huge of a character development journey he's gone on since an unearthly child where he only really cared about Susan and anyone else could get stuffed, basically. And yet his last words are caring for these new companions who he hasn't known that long. So I loved that. And the other thing I find interesting about this story is that there's this moment that... I'm surprised hasn't led to sequels or prequels all over the place. When the Doctor writes down what's happening and that Mondas is basically a copy of the Earth upside down before he sees it. And, I mean, he clearly, when the Cybermen come in later, he seems a bit surprised and he sort of gets surprised by them not having emotions and so on. But he knew about this other Earth with a, another human race and he could foretell it, basically. And so it makes me think I'm... I'm surprised that Big Finish or the novels or the comics even have never done a story set on Mondas before the Cybermen came about when it was just a normal Earth planet to sort of explain him knowing that. And, I mean, it's just a huge shock when, you know, these days so many stories have been mined for sequels and prequels. I've always been a little shocked that that moment has never got one. And so that's, yeah, another little interesting thing I find about it personally. I suppose everyone has gravitated towards the the Cyberman angle prequels and sequels. We've got um, Spare Parts, which is one of the most highly regarded big finishes ever. But yeah, you're absolutely right. They've never actually touched on how does the Doctor know what Mondas is. Um, I quite like that. That's an interesting thought. Uh, Greg, what about you? What are your thoughts on The Tenth Planet? I think The Tenth Planet is a tale of, of two halves, honestly. I really like the first half of The Tenth Planet. I don't as much like the final two episodes, and, and some of that's for reasons outside of the production's control, of course. But I think the first half works because of the mystery that it's introducing. You know, we, we have this, it's almost like a 1950s sci-fi setting. You know, we're set in this futuristic space program in 1986. You know, they're they're... They're prefiguring the the Star Trek thing of you know having a uh, an international group of people running it. Uh, 
really no women though, which is disappointing, but nonetheless. Um, and when they introduce the Cybermen, they're, they're an incredibly interesting villain, quote unquote, because they're effectively humans from a parallel world. They have this very matter of fact nature to them. They're not intent on conquering everything like future versions of the Cybermen are. They're just doing what they need to do to survive. And I think it works really well. I think Hartnell in episode two is really good. I mean, you can see that he's frail, but when he stands up to the Cybermen challenging them on emotions, it's a, it's a great moment. But unfortunately after that, I think it, it, it goes a little, a little off. I mean, obviously, first of all, Hartnell gets ill and can't be in episode three and that, you can really see the, the the joins there. You can really see how his lines are being given to Ben or being given to Cutler or, or whatever. And while he does return in episode four, you can see that he's not himself. He's really not involved very much in the plot at that point. And those last two episodes are basically a runaround. It's it's kind of prefiguring some of the weaker base under siege stories. But the final moments, of course, are are legendary for a reason. Hartnell lurching towards the camera saying, you know, it's far from all over is incredibly memorable. And they they really play up the alienness of the regeneration with the, the TARDIS controls operating on their own. The, you barely even see, you only hear the, the TARDIS doors open. You don't even see the doctor let Ben and Polly in. And it, it builds up to this, this climax of a new person on the floor of the TARDIS. And, and, and that really works. I just, I, I don't, I don't dislike the 10th planet. I just, I, I think it's uneven and it, it's just a shame that Hartnell had his, his health difficulties at this time, because I, I think he could have had a better send off. Yeah, it, it, it's hugely unfortunate that the Doctor is virtually absent from the second half of the story, even in part four when he come back, comes back. The Doctor's role was so small in it anyway. Uh, he basically grabs a microphone, says the Cybermen are going to destroy the Earth, and then gets carted off to a Cybership to be unconscious for the next 20 minutes. Um, it's... It's a really good example of the companions leading the way, though, uh, particularly Ben. And yeah, it is slightly clumsy at times when the Doctor's lines are given to Ben and it's all, the Doctor said this at some point when we had a conversation when you weren't looking. Um, And yeah, it's a shame Hartnell wasn't up to doing that third episode. But I do think the final result is excellent. Uh, Sam, what about you? Tenth Planet has always been an interesting one to me because it's obviously it's so mythologized within, uh, what well, within the fandom I guess, but also kind of like in the the extended media, right? The the books, um, the the sort of like the the first regeneration has been sort of retrospectively made to this be this like really momentous thing for the character, um. And especially, I think there's uh, Tenet Lalians. There's a there's a scene where you go inside, um, briefly glimpse inside the Doctor's head, and he's sort of like, uh, like I, I, and I read this book years before I saw the Tenth Planet. So there's a, there's a bit where you go inside the Doctor's head, and he's kind of like burning with, uh, he's, he's like burning up basically, and feels his body dying, and like knows the regeneration's coming, and is terrified, and all of this stuff. Um, and so, I think it's watching the 10th planet after that it carries a lot more weight than i think the serial would on its on its own um like it's 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 a good story um i think this the cybermen are done really effectively i think mondas being an upside down earth is ridiculous um it's <laughs> just like it's just uh, absurd in kind of the best 60s doctor who way um but like it's generally it's i think it's it's engaging um, the Cybermen are great and really creepy in their first appearance. Um, there's a kind of the sort of yeah, the sort of like slightly optimistic space ag near future stuff. I really like it when Sixty Who does that, and this is one of the the earlier examples of that. I think. Um, 
so it's good but i think it's something that um i thought was going to be because i'm was used to regeneration stories in the modern era which are are made to be these big momentous uh character defining moments and it's not like that at all it's it's sort of a necess- necessity of production um but it's interesting the ways that 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 moment has been um yeah, changed retrospectively thanks to like fan authors doing their thing with it and, and applying more weight to it than it did. But I came to it with all of that um, and found it really interesting. I, I, we sort of touched on the first Doctor's last words um, in in that serial anyway. Like I, I really enjoyed it um, and and yeah, had a lot of weight to me as a fan of like the the books and things before that. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's, it is a time in the Doctor's life that's kind of ripe for exploration and I've read loads of theories about, you know, what it actually was that caused the Doctor's body to wear a bit thin. Was it the Daleks' master plan? Was it the Celestial Toy Maker? Was it the Savages? Um, the Doctor's basically had a bit of a kicking over the last season. Uh, like, he's been through an awful lot, and no wonder that we finally reached this point where his body has worn a bit thin and it is time for him to regenerate. Um, and of course, it's it has been revisited. It's been revisited in Twice Upon a Time, and um, you know there was loads of stuff added, considered, changed, talked about there. You know, we talked about regeneration, what it meant to the first Doctor, what it meant to the twelfth Doctor. But we are um, we're a good thirty odd episodes off that point yet talking about it in this podcast. So we will get there. We've said hello to the Cybermen. They're now in Doctor Who, they're part of it, and over the next few seasons, they'll be really the big bad. The Daleks take uh, a bit of a back seat throughout the Troughton run. Doesn't mean there are no Dalek stories. We're getting very close to talking about one. Uh, but before we do, let's discuss um, William Hartnell's run as a whole. Um, so I'm going to go through each one of you. Just tell me what your favourite Hartnell story of the lot was and just sort of your final thoughts on the character of the first Doctor. So, Jimmy, you go first. My favourite of them all for the first Doctor has got to be the time meddler. I just love the story so much. And um, as I've said before, when we spoke about it on that season's episode, I mean, it had to deal with losing both Barbara and Ian and properly introducing Stephen. And you're introducing the first Time Lord other than the Doctor and Susan. And... Not only does it do all of that, it does it all well and you don't even have time to miss Barbara and Ian properly. You just love this new team from the get-go and just such a good story just generally all over and so many positives. I, yeah, I'd say it's not just my favourite Hartnell story but my favourite Doctor Who story, full stop. And uh, as for his era as a whole, I obviously he's my favourite Doctor. I love it so much and... I think, like I was just saying earlier about Tenth Planet, I think he has such a great character development. Like, at first, you know, being sort of a bit dodgy and not really trusting Barbara and Ian and then warms to them, grows to like them, then they leave, then he's got to sort of learn how to, you know, be the hero on his own without that sort of backup and encouragement and sort of angel on the shoulder that they were. And he does it so well and just yeah, to grow to the point where at the end he's worried about his companions more than he is. I mean, it's such a brilliant character arc. I can't understand why when the new series came out, people were like, oh, it's actually got characterization and character arcs now. And I'm like, you think it didn't before? Come on, look look at the heart and Lear. I mean, I suppose it's because so many stories or episodes are missing that so many people haven't seen it all in its full context. But I think if every episode were miraculously recovered or finally animated, I think he would undergo such a re-evaluation and I really hope someday we reach that point. I mean, the first Doctor era really does benefit from being more heavily serialised than any other Doctor's era, really. Um, There aren't that many gaps in between adventures. I mean, I know that the Expanded Universe has found those gaps and sort of added stuff to them uh, brilliantly. But essentially, you know, the first season, the first is it 20 episodes or so are all one consistent adventure with no gaps at all. And then um, I think 
Doctor Who benefits from being sort of slightly more serialised. Uh, it, it it kind of, you know, later on in Doctor Who, when we're just pick, picking up for serial, we're dropping in, and then we're dropping out at the end of part four, there's no indication as to how much time is passing. We're looking in on a certain day in the Doctor's life, whereas during season one in particular, we're looking at every day in the Doctor's life. We're following all of it. Um, so, yeah, it's you're right. There is there is a development there that perhaps we don't see in later classic Who. Um, Greg, your thoughts on the first Doctor and your favourite story? Well, I'll start with my favourite story. Uh, my favourite story of the ones that we actually have, I agree with Jimmy, it's the Time Meddler. That is just a fantastic story. It's really the blueprint for classic Doctor Who going forward. The performances are fantastic. The Monk is a great villain. The 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 Doctor is is at his best in that story. There's there's absolutely nothing I can I can poke holes in with that story. If I could if I could see the entire thing, I might prefer the Daleks Master Plan as my favorite of the era, just because of the incredibly wide ranging settings and tones and, and events and deaths and lives it, it's 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 a true epic in every sense of the word but since we only have three out of 12 episodes and the rest are reconstructions i feel a little uncomfortable declaring it my favorite because it might change in my estimation if i were ever able to see the whole thing so so hard to say there as for hartnell himself i mean what can you say i mean he's the he's the first doctor and and he's held in this sort of reverential state and, and rightfully so. He, he defined the character. And like Jimmy said, he defined it over a period of time. Because when we first meet the Doctor, he is not an appealing character. He's this mysterious, grumpy, almost dangerous person that you don't know if you can trust. And by the end of his era, he's the hero of the story. He's He's the one who's there to right wrongs and fight evil. He's the one who's going to protect you. And that is a very well done you know bit of development over over the course of the Hartnell era it's it's one of the most unique in the history of the show because i mean Troughton has one historical story Peter Davison has one but the Hartnell era is the one that's full of historicals it's really the only one that 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 focuses on them so that that sets it apart um like we said the, the serialization of it is is unique the the sort of large scale episodes or stories rather that take place over multiple locations like the Keys of Marinus or the Chase or, or Dalek's Master Plan, you don't see those going forward. It's it's a very unique and experimental era of the show trying to find its feet, and it's led by a, a wonderful central performance. And I going back and watching it again, what 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 always strikes me is just how much fun William Hartnell has with the role. You know, when he has dramatic moments, I mean, he really throws himself into them and you can see him draw himself up for those big, powerful speeches. But it's the it's the other moments. It's where he's he's laughing. And, and you can see it. it's not just a performance choice. Like you can see on his face that he's just having the time of his life playing this character. And, and it, it's really a shame that he wasn't able to end his tenure, you know, fully under his own control. I mean, it, it's for the best, obviously, for Doctor Who that that he was replaced because that's the engine that's driven the show forward for coming up on sixty years. But yeah, I, I just I, I wish he could have had a proper send off because he's he's the OG, you know, he's he's the guy, and yeah, it, it, we we were we are so lucky as fans that he he was the first one to to wear the mantle of the Doctor. Yeah, absolutely, he. He created the basis of a character that has continued through to the present day. And while obviously doctors and personas and all that kind of thing changes with regeneration, the the basics of the character do come from Hartnell. Uh, So Sam, obviously you've not been with us for the first three seasons so far. So... um, same question. Tell us about what your favourite Hartnell is and why, and just talk to us a bit about the first Doctor. 
Um, so my, obviously you, you covered this in the last one, but my favorite Hartnell story is, uh, I think the war machines, um, cause it's where Dr. Who gets, it's obviously it's sort of, it's where pro- it properly becomes, like it sort of gets dragged kicking and screaming into the sixties. Obviously the show started in 63, but this is where it becomes sort of like up to date in a really interesting way. And I think the, the Troughton era to me exists in a world in the world of kind of like like flower power and the beatles and things in a way that the heart the, the sort of like especially earlier hartnell ones don't really and the war machines is where that that transition starts um i really like it i really like ben and polly are some of my favorite companions i think it's a great introduction for them shame about dodo but like it's uh yeah it's great and and the sort of first contemporary Earth invasion story is is a big milestone. It's a really good one. Uh, again, the 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 filming looks great. The the characters, apart from Dodo, are well served, and it's uh, it's just really exciting. Um, I think the, the the Hartnell era is one I have an interesting relationship to because I've not seen all of it. Um, obviously, it's impossible to watch all of it properly. But like uh, the um, you know most of Trout and I've seen whether it's a reconstruction or animation or what. Whereas Hartnell, I haven't dipped into a lot, but um, I've I've seen the highlights, and but for me the the I don't know, like I love the first Doctor era, but that is that's the audios and the books and the short trips more than anything. Like it's kind of all of those stories that are looking back on it almost rather than the the sort of present of the show. So it's an interesting one, and and, and obviously none of those feature William Hartnell, even though they all owe a lot to his performance and undeniably um he he sort of like helped lay the foundations for the character and like he he is a fantastic actor in all of the sto- in all of the stories i've seen um like really really accomplished and yeah like like he doesn't he the first doctor in all of the promo pictures he looks very serious but actually he's a very oftentimes like quite impish character who who just sort of like like giggles at everything he sees right it, it, and that that kind of like childlike side Hartner was equally good at as being sort of commanding and and I, I guess I've spoken about like uh yeah looking looking back from sort of more mo- modern times on the Hartnell era those kind of like retrospectively applied themes and I think actually this is the doctor in what's almost like relatively his kind of like teenage years so he's sort of like pretending to be more important than he is and and it's all kind of like when he is standing up against against the villains and stuff it's a kind of like you can kind of read into that that it's a bit of bluster and actually he doesn't really know (laughs) know what he's doing and i really like that that reading of those stories yeah that's fun yeah i do particularly like how uh, he's perhaps the most alien doctor um, and he's quite ignorant about certain things, you know, um, about humans and about Earth. And that's, that is something we lose. You know, we go from in an earthly child, oh, well, we've, you know, we've been on Earth for a little bit. We kind of landed here and that's it. We've gone from that when you look not even all that much later. Uh, by the war games, it's well established that Earth is the Doctor's favourite planet. That's why the Time Lords sort of stick him there for his exile. Um, so it very, very quickly becomes the Doctor not knowing that much about Earth. He knows a bit about the history and various bits and bobs, but actually he's he's an alien too. Uh, he's an expert on Earth. He loves Earth. It's his home from home. It, yeah, it's a, it's a strange and surprisingly quick transition and we only really get that alien sense from the first doctor um but yeah i, I think hartnell's performance was just or performances were always excellent and yes there were fluffs uh, and there were bits and bobs here and there but it's i've always looked at those fluffs have been in character even when they're sort of clearly not intentional um they, they definitely fit well with the character uh, I'm still torn as to what my favourite Hartnell is. It is either the Time Meddler or the War Machines, which is um, what you guys have all kind of agreed on as well. So I, I think probably the War Machines just kind of edges it for me. That I saw the War Machines before I saw the Time Meddler, so maybe there's a bit of a first one 
scene factor there. Uh, but yeah, that that wraps up the Hartnell era for us. We've we've covered the entirety of the William Hartnell era on a podcast of Spurious Morality, and it's I've really enjoyed talking about that. Um, we will, however, now move on. Uh, Patrick Troughton is the Doctor. The Doctor's changed, along with his clothes. Uh, and we are on to the power of the Daleks. Uh, Jimmy, talk to us about the power of the Daleks. I love this story. I definitely feel it's a little bit overrated in some regards. But, I mean, it's so brilliant that overrated is the fact that lots of people consider it one of the best perfect. And it's nearly excellent. And I use merely very loosely there because, yeah, it is excellent. It's such a great introduction for Patrick Troughton. He, um... He's a very different Doctor straight from the go. And, um, of course, even in those initial scenes, unlike later regenerations, he sort of says, oh, the Doctor used to or whatever rather than I used to. And it's almost like it's a whole separate person. And they play it really well with um, Polly and Ben's conflicting approaches and how Ben is very stubbornly, no, he can't be the Doctor. I don't believe it. I don't trust it. Whereas Polly's more like, oh, you know, he... What if he is? What if he could be? And sort of very open-minded. And I think that works well for both, A, showing the differences between their characters, and B, giving both sides of the audience a figure to identify with. Because, of course, I expect some people would have been, like, very attached to Hartnell, of course, and would have been very reluctant to accept a new doctrine. So they've got Ben's perspective, whereas other people would be so excited about this new actor taking on this role and how different he'd be and you know, you know, if from an outside perspective of, you know, publicity announcements and casting announcements, you know that the Doctor, that Patrick Troughton really is the Doctor. So if you're in that more optimistic and looking forward side, then you've got Polly's perspective. And so I think that was some very clever writing they did there. And yeah, it's just such a great story. I love the Daleks pretending to be, you know, this servile servant race who are happy to do whatever you want. And I am your servant over the Doctor's objections, just drowning him out in that. And then the twist when they're in complete control and poor Lesterson, who's gone completely mad by this point, tries to tell them, I am your servant. And just the contrast and the, you know, the sort of story arc of how it's gone from one thing to the other over the course of the story is just, yeah, it's brilliant. I really love this story. And I think the animation definitely helps a lot. And that's something that I'll be saying a lot now that we've got into the Troughton era because, of course, Hartnell hasn't had many episodes animated, whereas Troughton is almost, for lack of a better word, complete now. And every time I've watched an episode that I haven't, that I've only heard before, I've loved it and more than I have from just experiencing it in purely audio form. And so that's definitely a consistent thing. And I think it's an absolute shame that we've lost so many episodes and that we're missing the original performances and nuances. But I think the animations do a great job of filling the gap. And I think Troughton's really had a lot of popularity gain out of A, them, and B, the more recent full recovery of um, Enemy of the World and almost but not quite full recovery of um, the Web of Fear. But yeah, I think the animation really helps and that it's such a great story anyway that it's great to finally be able to see it. I think it was an excellent choice for the first animation as well. You know, it was a new Doctor, it was a Dalek story, it was a highly regarded Dalek story. Um, and yeah, it, it's. I, I agree that it's, uh, I think, merely excellent is the best way of of putting it. It's one of those that perhaps in its years where it was quite an inaccessible story fandom kind of put it on a pedestal and you know now we have an audio and an animation and yeah it, it is absolutely excellent but it's not it, it's not hugely superior to all other doctor who which i think is kind of a a status it had kind of gathered i think a few had really and every time they have uh, it's been subverted by sort of fandom having a better knowledge of it so uh greg you talked to us about power of the daleks I do think Power of the Daleks has earned its reputation. Uh, it's arguably the best Troughton story for me. It's arguably the best classic series Dalek story for me. It, 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 it's just, again, a shame because, of course, we don't have very much of it. We have telesnaps and a few clips. And if we had the whole thing 
opinions might be different. It does seem like it's a very well-directed story from what we can see from the still images and from the way that the animation uses the camera script to reproduce the episode. It seems like it was really well-made. Um, and obviously, you know, from what we can see of like the Dalek assembly line, like that's obviously a bunch of toy Daleks on the thing. So some of the effect shots we would have to understand would not look good, especially by modern standards. But, you know, for the most part, this isn't a story that required a giant budget or anything like that. So I think if it ever was found, I, I think we would be very impressed with it. I really like two things about this story. One is the way that it introduces the new doctor. It does so in a way that is completely uncompromising and unforgiving to the audience. Patrick Troughton plays it almost defiantly. He's challenging his companions. Do you know, basically, do you really think I'm the doctor? Like, do you believe that I'm the doctor? And and he shows you through his actions in the episode that he is, but with with no context, you know, in the first couple of episodes, you can believe that he might not be the doctor. You, know, you can believe that this is some kind of strange imposter. Ben makes a lot of good points to a, to a completely uninformed viewer. You know, why, why, is, why did he change? Why is he different? Why doesn't his ring fit? Why is he acting so weird? Why is he playing this recorder? I mean, even if he, even if he is renewed, why is his personality completely different? Um, I, I think that's all, that's all fair. And I think that that really gives it a tension that, that, that doesn't exist again in, in future regeneration stories. And the other thing that I really like about this, the story is how, how modern, the the plot of the intrigue on, on, on the base actually feels. This is the first Dalek story that wasn't written in whole or in part by Terry Nation. And Nation, while he was a capable writer, very much wrote in this this epic, you know, traditional science fiction sort of way. There were always explicitly good guys and explicitly bad guys, a lot, you know, very black and white view of the universe. This story is not like that at all. Um, we see, as I said, the doctors presented in Shades of Grey. The only indisputably evil part of it is the Daleks themselves, but we have a, 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 a government and rebels story, and for once, the rebels are not the glorious heroes and the government, the oppressive dictators. They're just two awful factions that aren't very sympathetic. And the whole point of the story is that their squabbles and their intrigue are completely meaningless because there's this growing threat of the Daleks that's going to wipe them out. And because they persistently ignore it or worse view the Daleks simply as tools to accomplish their goals, they don't realize what's coming. And as the audience you do, and there's this sense of like, come on, like we, we know what's coming here and no one can do anything to stop it. And by the end of the story, you know, the best the, the doctor and, and his companions can do is, is, is just try to minimize the number of casualties when the Daleks try to take over. It's, it's very, it's dark, it's, it's powerful, it's, it's really smart, it's paced incredibly well. I mean, like I said, it's, it's six parts, and a lot of Doctor Who six-parters drag a bit. This one does not. It's, it's excellent. I, this is one of my favorites. It, yeah, it, it is absolutely a very, very good story. It's a very, very strong story. Uh, one thing I do particularly like about it as well is whether this was intentional, whether it's just kind of the way things fell, but there's an entire episode without Ben and an entire episode without Polly, which kind of allows each character to be solo companion to this new Doctor for 25 minutes. We kind of get a just an opportunity to for the companions to slightly realign and establish themselves with this new character. And obviously by the end of the story, the Doctor is definitely the Doctor and all doubt has gone from Ben's mind. And it, it, it's a really good companion story as well as a really good new Doctor story. Uh, Sam, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> like, so it's like a, a kind of a lot of what I think about it has been said already. So, I'll like, try and try and keep this short. But it's it's just it's just so good. Um, th th I think what I find 
I suppose I something I keep coming back to today is the the sort of retrospective weight that these things apply, uh, applied. Uh, but something that really struck me when I first watched it when I was yeah again when I was like 15 or 16 the the loose cannon reconstruction which is really good um I'll take those over animations any day um <clears throat> but something that really struck me is how uh, sort of like so much of what what has what has been made up about regeneration in the mo- in the modern era and in the in the the wilderness years if you want um, can be read into that first regeneration. Um, it, it really fits with kind of like what we what we have learned in in the you know the fifty years since fifty sixty years since, um, and I find that really interesting. And in the when I was watching it as a yeah as, as a basically a kid who hadn't seen very many classic stories, I was like this this feels right. This this is kind of like this reminds me a bit of the Christmas invasion in terms of the the sort of um, the reaction that the companions have towards the doctor the, the the it's not called that obviously but like it's not even called a regeneration but like the post regenerative trauma and the and all of the and the doctor's personality settling over the course of their their first story um is is all present and there i think it's it's really interesting um the the dialects are used interestingly obviously with their sort of being really really sly in a way that we've never really seen before and haven't often seen since um because, yeah, usually Daleks are placed in a setting where everyone knows who Daleks are and they're already shooting up the place. Um, so it's interesting to see that kind of, um, yeah. And and it was just no surprise to me that Mark, Mark Gatiss uh, revisited that in a much worse way, I thought, but like several decades later. But um, yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good. And my, my uh, uh, um, main memory of watching it for the first time um, I was watching the reconstruction at my grand's house. My sister, who was about f- uh, yeah three years younger than me and wasn't a massive Doctor Who fan, came in, saw me watching a Telesnap reconstruction and was like, why are you watching this? This is rubbish. And then sat down and watched three episodes of Power of the Daleks with me. So it's good, right? It holds, the, even in fragmented Telesnap form, it holds the attention of a, a bored 12-year-old who doesn't like Doctor Who. That's that's absolutely fantastic, and I think it's if it existed, it would be well. You know, if we had it complete, it would be an excellent story to perhaps show to a a new viewer. It kind of uh, it kind of eases new viewers in, I guess. With the is that the Doctor? Is this really the hero thing? Um, yeah, I think that could work quite well. Um, but yeah, it, it just phenomenal story i'm so glad we have the animation i'm so glad we have the reconstruction uh there's an awful lot in there to enjoy and as greg said it it really doesn't lag at all for a six-parter it it has a pace and it keeps that pace all the way through and it's just absolutely brilliant um so we'll move on to the last episode we're going to uh, discuss now we'll return to season four in a week's time in part two uh, but the last story we have to talk about now is the highlanders uh, as has been pointed out it's pretty much the the final historical uh, the final pure historical in sort of the way that we we know and have loved them for three series now um it's. I think it's a really strong one to go out on. I think it kind of takes the strength of the historicals that we've seen so far over the previous three series and kind of makes something rather wonderful out of them. Um, it definitely sort of plays up to the strong bits. So, uh, Jimmy, talk to us about The Highlanders. The Highlanders is, yeah, it's such a great story. I love, I love pure historicals and I feel it's a shame that they got ditched when they didn't. I still can't believe the new series hasn't even decided to take a gamble and try it at least once, just as a one-off. And so it's nice that they didn't sort of end with Hartnell and that Troughton got one so early on. And I think it's such a great story. It's brilliant introduction for Jamie, an interesting period of history and all the regulars on and future regular Jamie on fine form. I think also that it's almost more chaotic than Power of the Daleks in terms of the Doctor's characterisation. I just love him being all out, you know, 
he does the um, old lady um, ex- disguise later and the best part is when he pretends to be a doctor and he asks the guy, do you have headaches? And the guy's like, no, and he just bashes the guy's head against the table and is like, are you sure you don't have headaches? And <laughs> it's just so brilliant. And then, you know, locks him up and put gags him and makes a casual joke about never having seen a silent lawyer before. I mean, it's brilliant. It's just so different. You can't imagine Hartnell doing that, much so love him. It's a completely different style of doctor and they're still establishing what he's going to be like and um, he doesn't get quite this chaotic later on, but it still definitely sets a tone for his ear in a way and I think that's a really good approach to have taken and to sort of differentiate this pure historical from the previous ones. And another little bit of characterization that I love is, and I can't give myself the entire credit for thinking of this, I saw someone discussing it on uh, another site, but when Ben and Jamie are taken prisoner and they're aboard the slave ship and Ben's making his escape plan, um, he's talking about, we can swim out and Jamie's like, I can't swim. And even though, you know, he doesn't really know Jamie yet and Jamie isn't really his friend like yet, he's just like, right, okay, that plan's not off. We've got to do something else. Like he frust- he's frustrated and he grumbles about it, but he's already not willing to abandon Jamie and already cares about these people enough to, you know, he doesn't even just say, well, I'll swim off and I'll get help and I'll come back. He's just like, no, nope, plan over. It's not going to help Jamie. And I think especially later in this era, they sort of butt heads quite a lot and both in story terms and also in um, out-of-character terms, of course, now that Jamie was there and, you know, the first Doctor had needed the sort of male companion to do the action stuff and now Troughton's younger and can do it himself and he's got two male companions and they're sort of each being sidelined while the other is highlighted. And so it's obviously a tough time, both character-wise and out-of-character-wise for them. And, yeah, I think it's just good to see them caring about each other even that early and even that reluctantly. So that's another little thing I like about the story. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a very, very strong introduction for Jamie. Um, I mean, I think he was kind of added to the TARDIS team last minute. They just liked the character and went, all right, we'll keep him. Um, And I think that that, it, it obviously it's it's a bit slow Jamie getting established but I think by the time we get to faceless ones we really kind of uh, have an incredible doctor companion double act relationship that we've we've certainly never had before and I'm not 100% convinced we have it all since actually um and it it, it does grow it's something that kind of builds up over the course of this season um but the the sort of initial bits of that are definitely on display here jamie is indeed a standout character Uh, and i think if he didn't become a companion at the end he'd be one of those great what ifs like um pauline collins in the faceless ones again or uh ray and delta and the bannermen and you know, characters that just weren't companions that probably should have been. I think Jamie would have been one of the biggest ever. So I'm really glad that he did stay on and did become a companion. Uh, Greg, talk to us about the Highlanders. Well, I think I'm going to be in the minority here. Uh, I, I This story just reminds me a lot of the smugglers in many ways. It's similarly competently executed that the performances are fine it's it's set in a more recognizable period of history but again we're not dealing with significant historical individuals for the most part in in, in this story and the the plot once again is mostly just the doctor and companions getting imprisoned by various factions and escaping and, and running from place to place now, there's some very interesting stuff here, um, Troughton being the most interesting insofar as they're really trying to set out like this, this element of his character where he loves to wear disguises and funny hats, and he's kind of this silly, chaotic figure, which is much different from Hartnell, and, it, and it's, it's very entertaining in that way. Like he, He's the best thing about it for me, um, but of course we get a little bit more disguise work in underwater menace and then we never see it again. So 
this taken in context with the rest of the trout narrative is like, what is he doing? Like, I mean, we're, we're obviously settling into the character, but, but it, with, with the benefit of hindsight, it, 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 it's, it's a very odd story for the doctor in that sense. It's also a really good story for Ben and Polly. They both get big chunks of the plot to themselves. Um, they, they both do very well. Um, I'm not, as keen on on Jamie in this as some other people. I mean, he's he's a good character, certainly. I, I don't think there's anything controversial about that. He's it's understandable why they brought him aboard the TARDIS, but I, I didn't see him as, as a hugely consequential character in this story. And honestly, watching it at the end when he did come aboard the TARDIS, I was like, huh, okay, sure, why not? So yeah, I mean it, it's I, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm saying it's terrible. It, it's certainly not. It's it's enjoyable enough to watch. It's just it 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 for me. It doesn't really seem to accomplish a whole lot. It, it's just kind of there. It's just kind of taking up four episodes in the middle of the schedule. And you know, between this and the smugglers, and, and based on what the science fiction stories in this season are doing, I I can understand why they decided to move away from the historicals after this. I think you do maybe have a point there, actually. Sort of, while I do enjoy the historicals, they all do run along very similar lines. You know, regulars are separated from the TARDIS. They come up against a particular villain that's sometimes a famous figure, sometimes just a random person. And uh, it, it kind of goes from there. They have a bit of a swashbuckling adventure and they make their way back to the TARDIS at the end. Um, Perhaps, yeah, perhaps historicals had run out of steam. I'd not really considered that before. I, th- I think you've got a very good point. Um, glad you mentioned that it's a good story for uh, Polly. Uh, I absolutely love the stuff um, with her sort of intimidating the the English soldier and uh, Algernon and kind of wrapping him around a little finger and sort of forcing him to be her minion for the course of the story. Um, it's is perhaps Polly's first great companion moment. I think Ben's had his moments previously, as we've discussed, you know, even way back in the war machines um, when he was going through the warehouse. But I think this is the point where Polly really gets a bit of, uh, sort of a bit of fire in her belly and uh, becomes a, a much, much stronger character. Uh, Sam, talk to us about the Highlanders. Well, uh, as I said at the start, I really like it. Um partly because it's playing in that kind of um playing with the the kind of like these the stereotyped 18th century aesthetic with with smugglers and, and ships and redcoats and all of and all of this kind of thing i think that's great um but it's it's really interesting to look at uh, not i mean said it's sort of like not doing uh like there's no significant historical characters that you meet but it is playing uh well it is set in the aftermath of an incredibly important event um like the the 1740 the 45 rising like the jacobite rising um and i think i find its treatment of that really really interesting in that it's it's kind of not for decades centuries after that the the jacobites themselves were demonized um as sort of like you know papist conspirators right sort of sort of the 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 savages the villains of that story but in this in this story they are very much sympathetic and it's it's in fact a, a jacobite jamie that joins the tardis at the end um and i think that sort of speaks to a kind of the slightly countercultural edge that starts to creep in during troutland's troutland's run um there's there's a reevaluation of you know compared to uh, um like the reign of terror which was very much a kind of like straightforward textbooky version of history with um sympathetic characters and all the right factions you know um in this there is some uh some sympathy and a lot of um yeah just just kind of like the the the, the story's eye is on the the rebels and the 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 people who who rose up and tried to fight the government um and it treats them in a really interesting way and yeah one of them joins the TARDIS at the end so I find I find that fascinating um I think the um it owes a lot to a really really excellent like the story owes a lot to a really excellent film by Peter Watkins called Culloden uh which came out in 1964 
Um, it was made for the BBC. Um, and it's part of that same kind of like reevaluation that you start to see in the 60s. Um, and what Culloden did was um, it's filmed in a sort of cinema verite style, as Peter Watkins films often are. It's kind of like filmed like it's a modern documentary, like a like a modern war documentary, but it's it's on you know in, in a glen in 1745, um, and it's it's amazing. I urge anyone to check that film out. It's so so good. It's one of the, my favorite documentaries ever, um, and it's it's bringing this period to life and challenging. Um, the sort of like the the history lesson version of what of what that event would have been in the 60s um so yeah that's that's kind of like why i like the story so much because it's it's re- it really feeds into a changing evaluation of like the actual events that the story concerns yeah and people say doctor who didn't get political until the jody Whittaker era <laughs> Yeah, there is. Um, I mean, I think it's perhaps of all the historicals, I think you're right, actually. It may be the most sort of challenging one. It was, you know, it, it's not ancient history that it's delving into. I know that we've sort of questioned the Aztecs' uh, belief in sacrifice before now and all that kind of thing. But um, this was genuinely a an English military thing that was being challenged. And yeah, I yeah, I do quite like that. And perhaps, uh, you know, if they were, I'd love them to, if they were to do a purely historical adventure now, I'd love it to be something along those lines, you know, challenging a, a belief or challenging sort of what is accepted history, albeit as written by the winners and that kind of thing. Um, we're turning this into another historical episode by stealth aren't we sam i like this <laughs> yeah i knew i'd sneak it in there somewhere yeah. um but yeah so that is the the first half of season four covered uh it's been really strong so far there's there's certainly not been a dud in there um it's one of the craziest times in doctor who history and it's yeah the quality's been really really high it's certainly been more consistent than uh, any of season three so i thoroughly enjoyed talking about it uh we shall return next week and continue uh we'll pick up at the underwater menace and go through to the evil of the daleks but in the meantime i will say goodbye to jimmy goodbye uh goodbye to greg it's been a pleasure revisiting the hartnell era and i'm looking forward to the rest yeah, roll on the rest of Trouton. Uh, and goodbye to Sam. Yeah, goodbye for now. And yeah, we'll be back continuing season four in next week's episode. Uh, until next time, goodbye. <laughs>